0: Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. I'm going to ask you this morning to grab your Bibles um, and or turn on your Bibles um, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, that's... a uh, uh, in the New Testament, uh, right in the New Testament, officials uh, in the officials, the epistles—they are officially the epistles um, there. But Galatians chapter five, we're going to be looking again at verses thirteen through fifteen um, as our text, as our diving board. But we're going to be looking this morning too uh, and studying in detail verses sixteen through twenty-six uh, this morning as well. We looked and started out by looking at what Jesus said in John chapter eight, all the way back in the beginning of Jul- uh, in the beginning of this month. When- Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And he said, if the Son of God sets you free, then you are free indeed, or you are free completely. He said that freedom is found only in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus stretched out his arms and he submitted to execution by the Roman government at the hands of the Jewish religious zealots, when he did that and submitted to that, he set us free. He broke the the chains of sin and bondage, which means we do not have to live under those fetters. We do not have to live under those shackles and chains anymore because Jesus, when he died, one drop of his blood bust the chains of sin and death and hell. That's why we celebrate. That's why we worship him. That's why we praise him. That's why we can walk in confidence of this Christian life. But as we turn to the book of Galatians, just like anybody else, and just like with anyone else, freedom is a big concept. It's a vast and deep and wide idea and subject, more than likely, all All of us have a different definition of what freedom really is and what it really means. Hopefully we know and have decided now by what the word says that freedom comes from Jesus Christ. But what do we do with that freedom? That's always a question for the free. How will I steward this gift of freedom that I've been given? Because none of us earned our freedom in Jesus. It was given to us by Jesus Christ who earned it for us. So the question is, what will I do with this freedom that is one of the many gifts that I have of being a child of God? And the question is, how will I steward this freedom that is given to me? And I think we have to start by asking the question, well, what was freedom given to me for? Was freedom given to me just for me to enjoy and just to say, hey, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And so, therefore, there's no, I'm Teflon, baby. Sin ain't going to stick to me. Sin ain't going to kill me. So, I'm going to enjoy my life and I'm going to live it to the hilt. And I'm going to, I got my get out of hell free card and I'm just going to go to heaven when I die. So, I'm just going to live it up until I do. That's the attitude some people take. For others it may be I'm so thankful for the freedom that I've been given and I want to look like Jesus so much that I want to develop this checklist that I have to follow every step of the way and make sure that I check off every single bullet point and only then can I define myself as being free. The problem is you're no longer serving Christ. You're serving a framework that you have painted of him and therefore you're no longer serving Christ in freedom. You're a slave to your picture of him. So there's these two extremes of living free under legalism and living free under license. And somewhere in the middle, we find the real thing. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Because in the Galatian church at this time, this was a group of people who had been saved. Salvation and the Christian church was about a generation old at this point. They had been fascinated. They had come to the place of understanding that Jesus is the way maker and that he is more than enough. But that began to trickle away a little bit. They began to try to add some things to Jesus or began to try to define and qualify what spirituality and what the Christian life really looked like. And a group of people came up from around the Jewish regions and came into all of these Gentile cities and began to preach this idea that if you're saved, that's wonderful. Jesus died to wash away your sins, but if you want to stay saved, and if you want to prove that you're really saved to begin with, you got to start jumping through all of these hoops. The biggest hoop was one of circumcision, which was a Jewish practice that did not apply to the Gentile world. But they said if you want to be a true Christian, You need to make sure you assimilate into this cultural idea rather than follow Jesus Christ, the one who died to redeem every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so that's where we pick up here in our text this morning. And I want you to see this in verse number one, and then we'll skip down to verse number 13. In verse number one of chapter five, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So why did Christ set us free? He set us free for freedom's sake. Because when God looked down from heaven upon his creation and saw the slavery and the bondage that we were in to sin, he could not handle it. He loved us too much to see us live in that bondage. Even though we took the freedom that we had in God and we traded it in for the fruit and we sinned, we voluntarily went into that bondage. The the sad thing about bondage is we voluntarily go into it, but we can't get out of it voluntarily. Someone has to rescue us from it. And so God says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Because God loved me so much. He didn't want to see me living under the weight and the pressure of sin. Even though in his holiness, he could have looked at me righteously indignant and left me there and said, serves you right. That's what you got coming to you. But he didn't do that. For freedom's sake, Christ set us free. And then he says, so stand firm then. Stand firm then. And don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I painted this picture last time I preached Imagine you've been enslaved all your life, and it's all that you've ever known. And we have a horrible blight upon our history of chattel slavery, where people were forced into slavery, and people got wealthy upon somebody else's work, and the sweat of their brow, and they were beaten, and scourged, and, and used up, and mistreated, not even viewed as human beings, but as property. It's all things that we don't have to keep, I could re, keep rehashing, it and it's just something that we look at and say, how and why? But imagine that you have been enslaved your whole life and someone comes and buys your freedom or buys you and takes you out and says, I bought you to set you free. For freedom, I have bought you. For freedom, I have set you free. That's what Galatians is saying Jesus did for us. Now imagine he not only takes those shackles off of you, but then he says, you are no longer a slave. You are my family. I am giving you my family name, my family seal, all the benefits of the family. You are going to inherit what my kids inherit. You are not my slave, you are my child. And then he strips off all of that homespun and all of those, those horrible clothes that have been rattered and tattered and beaten and stained with blood from beatings over the years and he gives you beautiful clothes that you've never thought about wearing before in your life. You never thought you were worthy of doing it. And he says, you are no longer a slave. Now imagine seeing those shackles on the ground and picking those shackles up and running back to the slave owner that held you before in slavery and saying, put my shackles back on me because I would rather be a slave. It's hard to imagine anyone in their right mind doing something like that. And this is what we do each and every time. This is what the Galatians were doing. It's no different in 2021 when we begin to go back and voluntarily place ourselves back under the sins of the flesh and under the idea of legalism and under the idea of anything other than Jesus being our enough. We go back into it. So this morning, I want to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13, and here's what Paul says. He says, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one, st- one statement. Let's read this one out loud. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. The last message where we did part one, we looked more closely at verse number 13, talking about how we are called to be free and what that means and what that looks like for us. Today, I want to focus on what it says in the last part of that, not using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh flesh. Holy Spirit, this morning, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would illuminate us to your truth, captivate us this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that any distraction that may come our way, anything that we have going on after this, anything that may be going on around us, I pray, Lord, that we would just push it away and focus on what you have for us because you alone have the words of life. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. And God's church said, amen. If you have your fill-in sheet, you already have the first two points, I believe, filled in on your outline because we covered those in the first message. Point number three is pretty much a message in and of itself, but if you missed a couple of weeks ago, and by way of review, I want to look at just a couple of things this morning and kind of and look at these um, again. Paul is talking to a group of people who were beginning to lose focus on Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar to you? I believe we live in a day and age, and I don't think it's different than anybody else or any generation who's lived before us of believers. The challenge has always been and always will be, once you place your eyes on Jesus, the challenge is not to remove your eyes from Jesus. Because each time we do, we get ourselves into trouble, don't we? Everything out there looks shinier than the bloody cross, But it's always when we come back to that old, bloody, rugged cross that we find healing, that we find purpose, and that we find where we should have been all along before we wandered. And so that's what Paul is telling the Galatian church. Don't veer from Jesus. You don't need to add to him. He's the perfect ingredient. He's the only ingredient you need to sustain you. And so what he tells us about our freedom and what our freedom looks like, freedom is more than an idea. Freedom is a number one, freedom in Christ is a calling, he says we were called to be free. We were called to be free. We looked at the fact that it comes from that Greek word, which gives us a picture of being, of being like named something different and placed in something better, just like that illustration I gave you a moment ago, of being called out of slavery by the only one who could pull us from that and who could purchase our freedom and placed somewhere new. Uh, the, David, the psalmist, explains this in the book of Psalms when he talks about, you have taken my feet out of the miry clay and you've set my feet upon the rock. When we get saved and we come to Jesus Christ and the freedom that we have in him is a freedom that sets us free to run in his glory. I don't know about you, but if I'm stuck buried in a pit, I can't get much cardiovascular exercise. I'm not free to run. I'm restricted, right? I'm restricted in this pit. And by looking at me, I've been in a pit for a while, right? But when you're restricted like this, and this is the picture that the psalmist paints for us. He takes us out of that miry clay, out of that quicksand, out of that pit that we're sinking down and down and down in. And he sets our feet upon a rock and he leaves us set free so that we can run for his glory. But too many times we've gotten used to the pit, we've gotten used to the sinking, we've gotten used to all that and we think that's just the way life is. But God is saying, oh, in the freedom that I give you, you can run for his glory. It's a calling, it's a calling of a different name as well. When I was called dead, Jesus called me alive. When I was called sinner, Jesus called me righteous in his name. When I was called orphan and alone, Jesus calls me brother and joint heir and child. It's a new calling. Freedom is a calling. We have been summoned and called out to freedom. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, come to me all who labor, all who are overworked and tired and weary and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you because it is easy and, it is, is light, and my burden is light. But he talks about another yoke that is slavery and he says, you've been called out of that. Don't run back. You've been called out of that bondage. Don't run back to it. So freedom is to be a calling. I love what he says in John chapter 15. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. What that tells me is, I brought nothing to the table in this salvation picture. Jesus brought it all. And when he chose me, he chose me by going to the cross. He chose me by dying upon the tree. He chose me by raising from the dead to make salvation available to anyone who believed. And then one day when I was a young man, I heard a message that talked about the grace of Jesus Christ. that sets us free. And I was convicted of my need and I believed and I placed my trust in Jesus Christ. And I said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I was set free. What's that moment for you? When did that happen for you? When were you set free? See, a lot of people will look at that verse that he chose us, we didn't choose him and they'll say, you know what? That just means that God picks and chooses who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. No, he knows who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost but he didn't condemn somebody with no chance. He gave everybody the chance. He chose us on the cross so that we could choose him in our life. The the question is, have you chosen him? We have been called to freedom. Have you answered that call? The second thing that we looked at moving quickly through, uh, through all of this is number two, we have to see that our freedom is supposed to be others-centered. Freedom is supposed to be others-centered. This answers the question of why did Jesus set me free? Jesus set me free for the same reason That he came to set others free because he wants me to focus on other people as well. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was already free. He was already the darling of heaven. He was already the king of kings and the lion of Judah and the lamb of God and the prince of peace and everything. He left all of that. He voluntarily placed himself upon a cross to set us free. He did it for us. So the question is, if I'm going to live like my Savior, and if I'm going to be set free by my Savior, what does he want me to do with that freedom? He wants me to think about other people with my freedom as well, just like he did. See, culturally, our view of freedom is very, very self-centered, isn't it? We talk about personal rights and personal liberties and all kinds of stuff. I don't even, there's a lot of new four-letter words that we invented in our culture during COVID, right? Dare say, you know, the M word, mask. You know, you don't want to say that word anymore, right? Because that just raises all kinds of contention and things, doesn't it? Because we look at our personal rights and we look at our personal liberties and we say, that is the most important thing I must hold on to in this Western individualized culture. But what we have to understand is when the Bible was written in the context of Scripture, we're not looking at an individualized culture. We're looking at a culture that looked out for one another. A culture that looked at growth through community. The idea of church was not one of, hey, I'm going to be on my own for a whole week and then I'm going to come together for an hour and we're going to raise hands together and say, man, that was community. Community was daily in the temple, daily breaking bread, daily doing things. They needed one another more in the early church than we need each other today. Actually, I think we still need each other. We just don't think we do. But you see, everybody looked at their own view of freedom. And when everybody only looks out for themselves, guess what happens? We end up eating each other alive. It goes back to what it said in the Old Testament about the children of Israel. Every time they began to veer from God, there was one phrase that indicated that they weren't following God. And it was this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They took the freedom they'd been given as God's people... And they used it for selfish gain and selfish motives. And they only thought about themselves. And eventually, when you only think about yourself, you're eventually eating the neighbor next to you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Again, I want to ask you, look back at our text again this morning. You won't see it <clears throat> up on the screen just yet. But look, look again at verses 14 and 15. He says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Let me ask you this. In 2021 today, in the United States of America, the state of Kentucky, in Lexington, or wherever it is that you live, as a Christian, when you think about the church, is the church operating on a verse 14 scenario? Or are we operating in a verse 15 scenario? Are we loving one another like ourselves Or are we biting and devouring? Think about what you see on Facebook, on Twitter, what you hear on the news, what you hear in the sermons on Sunday morning or in the Bible studies or whoever it is that you listen to on your podcast. Is it a verse 14 experience or is it a verse 15 experience? See, freedom, we've been set free so that we can be others-focused. The idea is, since I don't have to worry about myself... I can now be concerned with others. It's the same idea as when you fly on a plane and they say when, those, when the oxygen mask falls down, take care of yourself first and then turn your attention towards others. Jesus set us free so we can then be agents to set others free. Not so that I can just keep expanding into the horizon of my freedom and just tiptoeing around like I'm wonderful. It's so that others can find freedom in Christ as well. Because what good is tiptoeing around and having a wonderful time if you're tiptoeing through a graveyard? It's more fun to dance with other people around. Oh wait, we're Baptists. We're not supposed to dance. I forgot about that. You know what I mean? Enjoying my freedom on my own is only so good I want others to enjoy it with me. So freedom is to be others-centered. You see, this is where we get to when we think about our own freedom. Freedom. The attitude that many people believe, many believers today have in this cultural Christianity age that we live in say, well, since I'm saved and I'm always going to be, and there's nothing that I can do to lose it, I might as well just do whatever I want because I got my eternal fire insurance. And I said this last time, and I'm going to say this before we move on into into point number three is we need to have a whole lot more reverence for the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, than to merely view our salvation as a license to play with sinful fire without getting burned or smelling like smoke. Jesus gave his life. He deserves our reverence and he deserves our worship. That's why he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And with that, I want to look at point number three this morning and dive into verses 16 through 26. Freedom number three is spirit led. We are called to a freedom that is to be spirit led. See, even though we're set free, we still need to be led by something, right? Even though we live in a free country, we still have laws, don't we? Right? Who broke the speed limit on the way to church this morning? Yeah, nobody's raising their hand now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I was late and I didn't want to miss the opening song. God will forgive you for missing the opening song, but the Lexington Police Department will not forgive you for breaking their law. Even though we're free, we will still be led. See, even though God calls those who are saved his children, he also calls us his sheep. I would ask everybody to bat and bleat like a sheep right there, but I think you get the picture. We are called his children, which is a wonderful sense of honor, but we are also called sheep, which means we're dumb. We're the dumbest. He uses the dumbest animal in creation to describe the chief of his creation. Thanks, God. But he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Just look at the person next to you and just be like, you dumb. No, you don't don't do that, please. We want to be a positive-minded church here. See, there's a phrase that is often used in the Old Testament. Like I said, we do what is right in our own eyes. We're not meant to do that. Because left to our own devices, even as children of God, we battle the flesh within us. And the flesh will always lead us towards self-destruction because that's the way of the flesh. But the way of the Spirit will always lead us to life. But we have to let the Spirit lead us there. And the truth is, you may be thinking that you're completely free of any ties because you don't know if you believe in God and believe in Jesus much anymore. You're still being led by another narrative. We don't lead ourselves. We are led by the Spirit or we are led by the flesh. One way or the other. See, the freedom we're given in Christ means that we have the freedom to choose who will lead us. Before Christ, we didn't have a choice. We were slaves to sin. Now that we're saved, we have a choice. I'm following the Spirit today. This is why Jesus, when he talked about salvation, he said it in the terms of follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. This is why they were called followers of Jesus Christ. If it helps you to change the verbiage to identify your faith, don't just call yourself a Christian. Call yourself a follower or a disciple of Christ because it emphasizes the onus on us to be followers. The spirit and the flesh are always going to vie for leadership. Look what it says in verse number 16. It says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Paul is just very simple right here. He says, you have a choice to make. Follow the spirit or follow the flesh. Which one do you want to do? If you follow the spirit, you will avoid where the flesh is going to lead. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. We got two extremes going on all the time. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Again, you may be thinking, man, I'm just calling the shots. You're not calling the shots. You're following in one way or the other every single time. It always comes down to a choice, flesh or spirit. So anytime you see that word flesh in the New Testament, it's referring to the desire and the pull of our sin nature. And the flesh is always the villain in the story. The only time the flesh is not the villain in the story is when the Bible talks about the flesh that was ripped open and poured out Jesus's precious blood for us. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Every other time, it's the villain in the story, the flesh that rises up against the spirit and also rises up against us, but is so manipulative and so tricky to make you think that if I follow the flesh, that's the way I need to go. And the flesh can deceive itself as the spirit many times too. The spirit is the desire and the pull of our new nature and freedom in Christ. So look at the last part of verse number 17. You don't do what you want. Our old definition of freedom is not being hindered from anything that I want to do. That's why many people argue today on Facebook. That's why people are mad as Democrats at Republicans and Republicans at Democrats, because their way is hindering their version and their idea of personal freedom. But here's what it says. I don't get to do what I want. I'm following a lead somewhere. Paul's saying you're fooling yourself. You think you're calling all the shots if you're the master of your own destiny and the captain of your own soul, because you're not, it's either the flesh or the spirit. And the question is, which one's it going to be? So let's take a look at what the flesh's leadership gives us. Now we get an example in verses 19 through 23. We get a good picture of where the flesh will lead us and where the spirit will lead us. In verse number 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, envy, I said that really Eastern Kentucky, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar, lions and tigers and bears, oh my man, it's just a long laundry list of ugly stuff, right? He says, I'm warning you about these things. As I warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that word practice there may look like those who do those things are not saved or can lose their salvation. The idea of practice there is those who are content to continue in those and continually choose those over the way of the Spirit. It indicates that the Spirit was never in them to begin with. Now, While sitting in church with our Bible open, we would all stand up and say that any of these things are not acceptable Christian behavior. They're not things that Christians need to be tied in with. But when we use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, we can find ourselves saying, well, God's loving and gracious, so he'll be okay with it this time. That's not the way this works. God will never be okay with our sin. And I know that's not popular to say in a pluralistic society where people are beginning to, you know, question everything and anything culturally that's going on. God will never be okay with your sin. Hate me later, hate me now, I don't care. This is what the word of God tells us. This is how much God hates sin. He had to give up his son in his hatred for sin, but his love for us, he gave up his sin so we wouldn't have to live under the deathly penalty of it. If God could just simply overlook sin, his son wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Think of it this way. If God is okay with your sin, and if God just loves you and everything's just going to be fine, and God loves us, trust me, but if God can just overlook your sin and all of a sudden just say, it's no biggie, then why did he send Jesus to the cross? If that's the way God looks at our sin, then he was an abusive father to his son, making him die for no reason at all. Do you get that? Sin is a big deal. Always has been, and it always will be. Sin in any form, way, or shape. So i want to look at this list again and ask yourself this time, All right, this may not be Christian behavior, but has it been... My behavior. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Can I honestly say I've never cheated, I've never wanted to cheat, and I haven't justified my lustful thoughts in my mind? Remember what Jesus said. If we look with lust, it's like we've already committed to sin. The works of the flesh are obvious. Idolatry and sorcery. Okay, maybe you're not holding seances at your house, but can you honestly say, I've never put anything before God in importance and significance in my life because that's the underlying reason behind idolatry is something being my everything rather than God. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. Okay, now it sounds like we're describing a good old-fashioned Baptist business meeting, right? But seriously, can we say that any of these things in our common everyday practice, even in the church of Jesus Christ, look at them closely. Look at them. Look at them square in the face. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy. Let's look on at the next group. Drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I've done a real deep dive over the years into the subject of alcohol use among Christians because it's kind, of a, it's kind of a question of whether it's a cultural thing or whether it's a spiritual thing and because it's becoming a whole lot more commonplace in the American church. And while I can honestly say that I can't see that it is abundantly and significantly clear as to whether using alcohol in any form is a sin, it most it definitely is clear that getting drunk is. And that the practice of getting drunk and the celebration of drunkenness, that's what carousing is, is a sin. And it is always a sin. It's not a, oh, he's okay with it one time at a party. It's an every time thing. This is why personally, and I don't try to put my guardrails on other people. This is why personally, I just abstain from it totally because I don't know when I'm going to get there. All of these things, the Bible says, the Spirit... Leads me in a different direction. And if I follow in the spirit, I don't get here. So let's look at where the spirit's leadership gets us. But here's the thing. Let me, let me, let me back up for a second. I moved on too fast. We've looked at them twice. We've looked at this list twice now. And I can honestly tell you from a pastor's perspective that I know that a lot, if not every single one of these, flesh, these works of the flesh, are evident right here at Graceway. How do I know that? Because I'm guilty of probably over half of them myself. And if we're honest, if we went around the room and I read off this list and somebody would stand and say, yeah, I'll take take responsibility for that one. I don't believe there'd be any of them that we couldn't honestly say, yeah, that's me. So, well, thanks for this condemning moment coming to church. That's great, man. This is fantastic. Aren't you glad that verses... 22 and 23 exist. Why do I say that? Why do I say that we're all guilty of all this? Am I saying that we're not Christians? Am I saying that we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? No, what I'm saying is these works of the flesh are our default if it is not for the Spirit. This is where we go without the Spirit's control. Verse 16 says, walk by the Spirit And you will not certainly carry out the desires of the flesh. In other words, the Spirit is given to us in freedom to override the flesh. It breaks the chains. It breaks the bondage. It gives us a new way. Notice that it doesn't say that it takes away the appetite for the flesh. But it gives us something wholly better. And I love how he calls it the fruits of the Spirit. If you had to choose, would you want fruits or vegetables? I want fruit because it's good. I haven't met a fruit really that I don't like a whole lot. There's a lot of veggies I've met that I'm like, I don't care to ever meet you again. Right? I love how the Bible calls this spiritual fruit what it gets us because it's so much better than the other things that the flesh gets us. Look at it in verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these things. Again, he's talking to people who are legalists who are thinking the law is what sets me free. And he's like, look, if you live under this fruit, if you bear this fruit in your life, if you pursue the spirit, it's going to lead you into a life of love and joy and peace. And the law doesn't condemn you because you haven't gotten there. So let's look, just like we did at the other fruits of the flesh, let's look at this. And what I discovered studying and preparing this message, and I think is awesome, and some of you may have already seen this before, so I'm not claiming that this is original, but this is what the Lord showed me, is that each of the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21 are replaced by the fruits of the Spirit in verses 23 through 23. Each of the fruits of the Spirit deals directly with the fruits of the flesh. Love. Addresses that sexual immorality, that moral impurity, that promiscuity, which are all perversions and deviations from that eros love. Love also addresses the idea that I've got to look out for myself, but I need to look out for others. So love addresses all of those things. It a joy. The next fruit of the Spirit addresses jealousy and envy, both of which, which will drain the life and joy out of your life. He says, for all of that jealousy, for all of that envy, for all of that strife, for all of that hatred, I'm going to give you joy. Doesn't that taste sweeter? For all of the hatreds and strife and outbursts of anger, which we're so used to having in our culture today, I'm going to offer you the fruit of peace if you follow the Spirit. Wouldn't it be nice to open up your social media and not get off and feel like you need to go take an anxiety pill? I'm telling you, sometimes I, I don't get on Facebook much anymore because I'm just going to be honest. As a pastor, I always find I have way too much work to do after I look at what you guys are saying. I really do. The next fruit of the Spirit is patience or long-suffering. That deals with our outbursts of anger, our selfish ambitions, our jealousy, and our envy, which are so many times fueled by not having patience with others around us or with God and His timing and how He's doing things in our life. The next fruit is kindness. It addresses the dissensions and the factions that we are so tempted to spiral into even inside the church of Jesus Christ. Goodness addresses that selfish ambition again, the envy and the carousing that we are often tempted toward, while faithfulness addresses idolatry and sorcery of looking elsewhere, but God for our fulfillment and for our answers in life. Gentleness or meekness deals with, again, those outbursts of anger, the strife, the hatred that springs up because we've lost confidence in the ability and the design of God to always work in his perfect way and at his perfect time for his perfect glory and for our perfect good. And then self-control addresses that drunkenness, the carousing and anything similar that we're tempted to give ourselves over to hoping that it will bring some sense of relief or happiness or escape or pleasure. Now notice what the word says about the fruits of the spirit. It says all these things and you see that underlined section on the screen. The law is not against such things. What that means is the law can't stand up to any of these. It means if you're loving people, the law can't condemn you. If you're walking in peace, it means you're walking in relationship with the Lord and he's shielding you. If you're walking in joy and goodness and all those things, the law can't touch those things. The law has no jurisdiction over it because the law can't condemn any of it. But here's what so many of us are tempted to do in different seasons of our freedom. We're tempted to fulfill the desires of the flesh, so we start looking for loopholes and for justifications. Or we start looking for hiding places to do those things without other people knowing. Because every, you know, everybody knows freedom is best enjoyed in secret, right? Right? Oh man, look what I'm doing and nobody knows and I'm hiding it from God and everybody else. That's not freedom because you're in a closet restricted in that pit. You're not running on the rock. You're still sinking in the sin. Because everyone knows freedom is best enjoyed out in the open with peace and love and innocence. And the only way to that is by the fruits of the Spirit. And lastly, and we're finished, the choice ultimately is up to us here's the freedom of all of it God's told us where to find it it's in him God tells us what it looks like it's a calling it's supposed to be centered on others and it's supposed to be spirit led but here's the real freedom that God gives all of us you have a choice verses 19 through 21 or verses 22 through 23 love one another as yourself or eat each other alive the choice is ours that's freedom that's freedom I have the freedom to make the choice. Will I go with the default flesh? Or will I go with the spirit of the Lord? Verses 24 through 26 as we close and get ready for our invitation. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Listen, we're all going to struggle with embracing the freedom that we have in Christ. But remember that your freedom is a calling. You've been called to freedom by Christ away from sin into loving grace. We're going to struggle with making this Christian life all about us. But remember that we've been given the freedom to share it with others. We're going to struggle with staying in step with the Spirit, but remember this. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 17 tells us. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. The beauty of all of this, the miracle of all of this, is that if it were not for the Spirit of the Lord that gives us freedom, Verses 19 through 21 is our only way. But thanks be to God, it's not. So as we bow our head, and as we close our eyes this morning, we never have a service or a sermon without giving someone an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. And personally, I want to tell you this, I've had to respond to this one personally as I prepared. And I had some... Guys, pray with me this morning because through studying and preparing even more this week, I was revealed that I've just been something inside my own heart, just cold, apathetic, not walking and trying to pursue, not hungry for that fruit like I should be. If that's you this morning, would you be just as transparent and say, you know what, I'm living more 19 through 21 than I want to. I need to be living 22 through 23. I need to be craving that fruit of the Spirit more. If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? No one's looking around but me. I just, I just want to pray for you and along with you because that's what I'm praying for myself. But if you're here this morning or you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've not been set free, let today be the day of salvation. Trust in Him. He will break the chain. He will call you and He has called you out of slavery and bondage. Step into that freedom today. If you don't know how to become a Christian, if you have questions about faith, we want to talk with you about it. Email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com or come this morning if you're here and talk to myself or in the back where Jason is as we have a time of response. Just, we want to talk with you about it. We'll talk all day if we need to. But please come today. Thank you for listening today.